You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 17. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're doing very well. And I am delighted to welcome our today's guest. Her name is Lisa Masse, and she is a culinary medicine educator. For the past decade or so, Lisa has been helping people heal chronic conditions with food and develop healthy eating habits. Lisa creates food-based healing programs to find a balanced weight, feel energized and nourished, rest well, and practice cooking simple seasonal meals that are attuned to your body and your health goals. Lisa prepares meals that meet her client's need, but can also prepare food for loved ones who are in need of support. She is certified in sustainable food systems through the University of Vermont, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have her here. Lisa, good morning. Uh, welcome. Good morning. To, welcome to the show. Very excited to have you here. As I was mentioning to you earlier, um, I first met you at one of the classes at the Women's Herbal Conference. And uh, I was absolutely amazed by the information that you presented, and I've been following you ever since. And so I'm very, very excited that you are able to share your wisdom and your expertise with the listeners of this podcast. So welcome. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Of course. So um, my first question for you is, tell us a little bit about your journey. When did you know that cooking and that food and nutrition will uh, become a passion or your path in life? Well, really, my passion with food started as a child. Um, I spent most of my days helping my dad to cook. My dad is one of nine kids and was very much raised by my grandmother, um, doing quite a bit of not only cooking from scratch, but also wild harvesting and medicine making. Um, so making herbal remedies in the Northern Italian folk tradition. And um, as a child, my dad's job was always to go to the butcher shop and find the correct cuts of meat for the different stews and roasts that the family was preparing that week. So his knowledge of food really started as a child, and he then passed that on to me. And I did grow up with him, my aunts and uncles, um, my grandmother, doing all kinds of different food and herbal preparations um, and putting food by quite a bit. So what happened for me is that when I came to the States as a high school student, I was really stunned to see how disconnected people were from their sources of nourishment. Um, 
I came to Kansas City, which is where my mom is from. Um, only really been to the States once before. And people didn't have gardens. Um, the cows were all packed in in these putrid stockyards. Um, they weren't the cows that I was used to sort of, you know, grazing on the hill, dotting the hillsides below the Alps. Um, and a lot of the food was sort of brown. You know, I was seeing a lot of cheeseburgers, grilled cheese sandwiches, french fries with ketchup, um, things that didn't really seem like food to me. And not only that, but to the Midwest, vast distances, people were driving everywhere and there wasn't a lot of walking going on. So I realized very quickly that I had come from an intact food culture, which remains intact to this day, and entered into a broken one. And from that point in time, I really started to realize how important it is to help people discover what their traditional sources of nourishment are, what the traditional food ways of their ancestors are, and help them tap back into that knowledge because we all have the knowledge to heal ourselves and to be well with food and to use food as preventative care. Um, but that hasn't been passed down. It hasn't been valued necessarily by all parents and grandparents the way it was valued in my family. Um, and I really do believe eating is something we all do multiple times a day. If you don't eat, you die. So food might as well be a priority because it not only impacts our health um, and the health of our body, mind, and spirit, but also the health of our communities and in a world where racism runs rampant, um, where a lot of marginalized folks don't have access to culturally appropriate foods and nutritious and healthy foods, it's, you know, as much as we can do to honor our own traditional food ways and to hold space for marginalized people to be able to honor and embrace their traditional food ways, the more sort of healed and liberated we'll be as a society. Okay. Thanks. So that's just, you know, a little bit about my journey. And so what was the first uh, uh, time when you actually started uh, working uh, with food? So in terms of my food work, that journey really began because I had been living in Indonesia um, after university and was running a fair trade textile import business. Um, but what really fascinated me and still does about Indonesia is that it's an archipelago of 13,000 islands with 250 different language groups. And Indonesian only became the lingua franca in 1945. So each island is culturally distinct, linguistically distinct. And I started to realize how gastronomic traditions, um, you know, ways of eating are kept alive through language and started learning a lot of recipes from grandmothers in Indonesia that were being passed down orally and not written down and, you know, not wanting to be written down either because it was all about the act of preparing the food together within the cultural context and passing it down. Um, this love and fascination with food also led me to do some really adventurous eating and through that I contracted amoebas, um, intestinal parasites. Mm -hmm which became chronic. Um, and so what happened for me is that I had to sell my business and I had to essentially go underground and stop doing any kind of work because I was so sick. 
Um, parasites are extremely intelligent prehistoric beings that really take hold of their host when there's an opportunity to do so. For me, it was stress because I was extremely busy running this business in my early 20s. And um, they do prey not only on the gastrointestinal system, but also on the nervous system. So not only did I lose 40 pounds and kind of lose the ability to digest food, but I also developed an eating disorder, anxiety and depression. Um, Parasites were kind of running the show in my body. And after taking antibiotics, which just cleaned house for the parasites to make an even um, more comfortable home in my intestines and made my condition much worse, I sort of, you know, woke up one morning and had a moment of realizing I, I know what to do here. I know how I was raised, which is turning to food and herbs as healing. And that's what I did, exactly what I did. I started to do a ton of research related to traditional foodways in my particular condition, um, a ton of research about herbs for parasites. And over the course of two years, it was able to eradicate the parasites and then it took me about three more years to um, regain my weight, um, clear my system of anxiety and depression, um, kind of find balance from the eating disorder, um, have healthy digestion again. So I started really working on myself. Um, and then in 2009, as I was feeling well, I turned all of the knowledge and gifts that I had gained from the plants and the foods that healed me and really turned that back onto people with whom I work still. And I continue to be in service to the plants and the foods that helped me to be well. Lisa, I love the name of your website, of your business, uh, Harmonized Cookery, and I know that you you run a Harmonized Earth Education Center. Can you tell us where the name came from, and can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in the center through your services? Absolutely. So the name really just came to me. Um, as I was starting my business, I was working at an herbal apothecary um, for a local herd school. And as I was filling formulas for folks, um, I would talk with them about what was going on and give them suggestions around food um, and seasonal eating and different recipes and ways to tailor recipes to their dietary needs. And based from those conversations, I started a blog um, and started writing about food, writing about the recipes that I'd been creating and um, all of the experiments that I'd done and um, how they might be helpful to others. And the name really came just in a moment of thinking, gosh, what would be a good name for this blog? Harmonized Cookery came through as bringing harmony to, again, a situation where there might be disruption, dis-ease, lack of wellness, just bringing harmony to that. And what does that look like? You know, it holds space for harmony to look different depending on who you are and what's going on. Um, and I really do believe that we're all different and health is a changing state of balance. So that harmony is always going to sound and look different. Um, above and beyond that, we have 
our inherent constitution to consider, kind of our genetic makeup and our predisposition. And then we have condition to consider. So what is going on right now, not only in our bodies and minds, but also in our surrounding environment. Um, so harmonizing those two, the internal constitution and the external condition um, is part of the work that I do and help others to do for themselves, really. And my goal is to make myself obsolete. Um, my goal is to provide education so that folks have the tools to take charge of their own lives and their own well-being. Um, and at the Earth Education Center, we offer a wide variety of programs. Where I live in central Vermont, there is a breadth of knowledge that's incredible in terms of traditional healing modalities. Um, and we offer classes and retreats, you know, anything from botanical drawing and handmade art supplies uh, made with tools and um, plants from nature to meditation retreats um, and cooking classes. So there's a wide variety of what we offer. And the goal really within all of the different classes and offerings is to reestablish our connection to the natural world and to remember that nature is where we come from. It's where we return to. And in between is our greatest healing source and our greatest inspiration. Um, first, we have our breath as our source of nourishment, and next we have nature. Um, and a lot of what causes suffering for people in terms of what I've seen is disconnect from that source and from the natural world. So that's, that's the intention here, is to really bring people close and closer to the nature and then to themselves. That's very beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Lisa? Yeah. Something that as you are talking and as you are describing the mission and what you're actually doing, um, it made me really think about some of the trends that you might see right now in food science and nutrition. Um, what are your thoughts? We, I, I think that uh, sometimes we kind of swing from one side to the other and we go from something like the diet uh, changes from being uh, low fat to something that is high fat. And I, I really, I as I'm listening to you and thinking more about individualized and harmonized approach, tell us a little bit more about how you view a person and how do you recommend is it a little bit uh, more cookie cutter or a little bit more personalized and if it is more personalized where do you begin great question thank you so i really do see you know as a student of ayurveda the knowledge of life from india and chinese five element theory macrobiotics from japan and of course my own mediterranean diet um, I see that sort of the research and case studies that are coming out in the nutrition and dietetics world right now reflect what Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, these traditional nutritional philosophies have known all along in terms of health, right? And um, it's really neat to see modern science kind of catching up or echoing or agreeing with um, what traditional knowledge has to offer. So the thing that I see in the health market that's challenging is exactly that. Um, it's a health market, right? It's um, the commodification of well-being. 
which is not something that a corporation should be allowed to take from us and then return to us in a package. It's something that we actually are the protagonists of, right? Mm-hmm. We are the centers of our own lives and our own well-being. Um, but the consumer market is trying to basically take that from people and then return it to them. So the way I see it is that for every processed food, there's a fad diet in response to that, right? So for people who've eaten a ton of hybridized wheat, there is the paleo diet, right, which I call the privileged people's diet because it's so expensive to eat only grass-fed beef and pastured poultry, nuts and seeds, and organic vegetables. Um, And certainly this can help somebody who's developed a wheat intolerance to clear um, those gliadin proteins from their system, Um, but it's not a way of life, right? So people do tend to go into these extreme places in response to the extreme high-intensity processed foods that are put out there. And it's no mistake, you know, the food corporations, if you read New York Times op editor Michael Moss a few years ago wrote a book called Salt, Sugar, Fat, um, became a bestseller. And, you know, in there, there's a really poignant interview with um, a food CEO who was part of ideating and implementing the concept of Lunchables, Um, you know, these lunch packages that are all kind of broken down into meats and crackers and cheese for kids to take to school. And he's very clear, you know, he would never eat that stuff, nor would he give it to his children or grandchildren. Um, And at the same time, you know, he's being presented in this interview with data showing how um, health outcomes are negatively affected specifically by folks eating these Lunchables. And he says, well, people have a choice. You know, you can't expect me to um, affect my bottom line. I need to make a profit here. And the disturbing part of that interview is that really people don't have a choice because corporate food is engineered to appeal to not just um, our sense of taste and our pleasure of eating food, but actually appeal to our limbic brain, our prehistoric brain, um, and kind of take control of our addiction pathways, right, and make us addicted to this food. Not only that, but the food is subsidized. Um, The ingredients are subsidized, so it's extremely inexpensive. Um, Once again, folks who are marginalized can really only afford to eat this way, which creates a huge problem. Um, So the food industry um, and the health industry really feel like they're going back and forth to me in a kind of a ping-pong volley um, of who gains control of people, right? And so in terms of working with folks, you know, what I really do say is we're all at a different place in our lives and a different place with our process of healing and wellness. Um, And so there may be a few things that run a common thread throughout all of the different cases that I see. Um, One example is inflammation. Um, There is an inflammation process often going on in our bodies just because we're feeling a certain emotion about something. Um, So people, most people may have some greater or lesser degree of inflammation. Um, However, 
because the root cause of the inflammation is different for everybody, it's treated differently and it's addressed with different foods and different herbs. So I can't really say that any part approach is cookie cutter. Um, I certainly have recipes that I share with different people. Um, but for example, my buckwheat biscuit recipe might be appropriate um, for somebody who doesn't digest carbohydrates very well, but it actually wouldn't be appropriate um, for somebody who has a hard time um, producing the protease enzyme and breaking down protein. So although it may be a quote-unquote healthy recipe, what's healthy for me might not be healthy for you, right? Again, going back to harmonizing condition and constitution and really honoring our differences. Very interesting. Thank you. So if if someone is listening to this podcast and wants to go and um, introduce themselves a lot more to your philosophy and understand um, what you do, but also wants maybe to try a few different recipes, a few different things, or maybe stock up on a couple of ingredients, where where would they begin? So a great place to start is to... Um, Take a look at my website, um, and I do offer free initial consultations that are just a 15-minute conversation and snapshot um, about what's going on for you and what might be a good direction to take. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a place to start, and if people would like to delve more into that and go through um, a story process of telling um, me their health story and having me put together recommendations and recipes for them, that's another option. Um, I am also putting together right now a webinar series, so mm -hmm. folks will be able to participate in different webinars or purchase them and watch them in their, at their convenience. Um, just to learn a little bit more about the philosophy of food as medicine around the world and weaving all of these you know, foodways as well as tapping into, you know, what are your traditional foodways. In terms of ingredients to stock in a pantry, you know, I think something that's really helpful for most people is flax. Um, so flaxseed is an incredible feed, high in omega-3 fatty acids, right, which really lubricate um, so many of our different organs as well as our bones and joints. Um, so flax seeds actually help with hormone balancing, um, they help with blood sugar balance um, because they provide sort of a sense of fullness. They help sort of balance out the intestines, um, whether someone's experiencing constipation, diarrhea, um, or alternating um, more of an irritable bowel syndrome kind of condition. Um, people who are looking for something to enhance mood, provide energy support, Flax seeds are great, and they also have a really delicious and nutty flavor. Um, and they're mucilaginous, um, so they can soothe an ulcerative condition, too, and they actually even help with a sore throat. Um, hmm. So adding them to food, you know, sprinkling ground flaxseed on top of food um, is a really good way to start. And that's, that's a food that I would recommend to most people, so a good pantry staple to have. Um, and the other one is, you know, some kind of your favorite, culturally appropriate, unsaturated and saturated fat, right? So for me, as an Italian person, um, 
culturally appropriated, unsaturated fat liquid at room temperature is olive oil. Um, for other folks, it might be sunflower oil, grapeseed oil, avocado oil, um, walnut oil, peanut oil. Um, and then an appropriate saturated fat, um, for me growing up, that was clarified butter, right? And we would cook the butter at low temperature until the foam would rise to the top, something I still do. Um, and lo and behold, it's a tradition all over the world to create clarified butter. Um, skim off the milk fat solids, that foam that rises to the top, and have um, a food that is highly nourishing, relatively low in saturated fat, um, but still saturated, easy to digest, and has a very high smoke point, so wonderful for cooking at high temperatures. Um, for other folks, that culturally appropriate saturated fat might be coconut oil, it might be palm oil, lard, it might be butter. Um, so thinking about those as well and making sure that we're getting some, you know, high quality fat in our diet every day. And we're looking at about 10% of our daily intake comprised by those high quality fats just because of um, fat's capacity, again, to lubricate our joints you know, keep us supple, right, into old age, and to really nourish our brains. Gray matter in the brain feeds on fat, um, and our brains are working all day long. And then to give us this sense of satiety, this sense of fullness, of satisfaction, and above and beyond that flavor, right? If you've ever lost your sense of taste when you have the cold or flu, you realize that so much of eating food is about pleasure. It's mm. about tasting the flavors. When we can't taste our food, it becomes fuel, which is fine, and it's the way that some people relate to their food. Um, however, for me, the two, true appreciation of food comes so much from appreciating its flavor, and a lot of that flavor comes from fat. Um, so those are a few things that I would suggest stocking in a pantry. Um, above and beyond that, of course, trying to eat vegetables with every meal, you know, um, Having some greens of some kind at least once, if not twice a day. Um, having some of what Dr. Aviva Ram, who's an amazing doctor, midwife, and herbalist, calls energy veggies. Mm. Um, so sweet potatoes, winter squash, potatoes. Um, having some of those foods. Um, and then having the culinary herbs that are also medicinal, you know, included in a daily diet. Um, whether it's parsley for cleansing the lymphatic system or rosemary for promoting circulation specifically to the brain or basil for cooling and soothing the digestive system um, or turmeric for reducing inflammation, cinnamon for balancing blood sugar, right? Spices really are crucial to our well-being and they provide this concentrated source of plant nutrient, of phytonutrient delivery um, that's quite amazing. That is wonderful. Thank you. I had actually two questions. One of them you answered with a description of some of the uh, spices uh, and some of the herbs. But my other one was you earlier you talked about flaxseed and you mentioned powdered uh, flaxseed. How do you usually store it? So flaxseed does have a high oil content, which means that it can quickly go rancid. And with nuts and seeds, that's something to be aware of because rancidity, again, just makes a food harder to digest because it's kind of going 
bad to some extent. Um, and it also, you know, can, can kickstart an inflammation process in our body. So what I would say about flaxseed is to get um, flaxseeds that are vacuum sealed in a bag um, so that supposedly shortly after they've been harvested, um, they've been preserved, right? And then mm -hmm. what I do is I have an espresso bean grinder that I dedicate to grinding nuts and seeds. And then I grind my flax seeds, um, you know, for two or three days at a time and keep it in a jar in the fridge. Okay. Um, so that's a good way of um, preventing rancidity. Um, yeah. I actually have a friend who stores all uh, his nuts in the freezer. So um, I think that uh, I, I was surprised that uh, nuts do not actually freeze. And so you can actually use them and eat them pretty easily because there is really no water content. But so that's uh, something that I have learned um, some long time ago that you can actually do that. And it, pre it protects them and preserves them a little bit longer. That's um, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And then my, my other question, you mentioned the herbs and spices. And so um, I really love the fact that you are talking about culturally appropriate um, food that uh, uh, people should be really exploring and experimenting with. And so um, I came from a place where as a, as a child, I learned about salt, pepper, and cinnamon. And I think that I actually mentioned this uh, sometime before in my previous episodes, but um, how do you, and <clears throat> through my adult uh, years, I actually uh, expanded significantly uh, the repertoire of the herbs and spices that I do consume today. And so um, what, what fascinates me is that sometime um, I would offer to my students in herbal classes uh, to try ginger tea and I can see by their facial expressions that this is something that is extremely spicy to them. So is there any tips or tricks in terms of how do you slowly incorporate a lot more spices? Is this a wise thing to do? What are your thoughts on this? Absolutely. It's a great question. So it's really about quantity, right? And kind of phasing things in. Think about how you would introduce spices or any foods really to a baby and think about, um, you know, giving that baby a little taste of ginger, a little bit of grated ginger in their oatmeal so they can kind of um, become accustomed to the flavor, become accustomed to the heat of that ginger. And then if it's something that people resonate with and respond to because ginger tea actually isn't the greatest thing for everybody. Um, for some people it may be too heating and too drying, it could exacerbate an ulcerative condition, um, or it could make watery digestion even more watery, more bloating, more gas, more diarrhea. Um, so it's important to consider that as well, but um, kind of slowly increasing the quantity, seeing how people respond, I think is the best way to go. And, you know, if you're from a place that traditionally does use high volume of spice, India is a really good example of that. Um, I love cooking with a dear friend's mom um, who's from Himachal Pradesh in northern India and watching just, you know, how many spoonfuls of powdered herbs she uses in her food. And that's really, that combined with a wonderful fat, really where the flavor comes from. Um, 
in these incredible dishes and also where the medicinal benefits come from. So slowly increasing quantities and then honoring that everybody's palate is different um, and everybody, again, has different dietary and constitutional needs. So what I like to do is give people a taste of um, three different chutneys. Um, so a cilantro mint chutney that has coconut and lime in it, um, which is detoxifying to the liver with the cilantro and cooling with the mint. Um, and then, you know, kind of stimulating to the digestion with the acidic flavor of the lime um, and balancing with the coconut. I like to offer that alongside a parsley pistou that is, you know, parsley and sunflower seeds, which are so high in magnesium, um, to reduce muscle cramping and aid with elimination. Um, and again, parsley detoxifies the liver, but in a very different way than cilantro does. Um, and use that pistou with olive oil instead of coconut oil and lemon juice instead of lime, and then allow people to notice which one they're gravitating towards, mm -hmm. um, which one they respond to, and have that as a guideline for then um, kind of continuing to add to their cooking palate similar flavors and flavors that resonate um, more with the warming parsley, sunflower, olive oil combination or more with the cooling cilantro, mint, coconut combination um, because it's a way to also identify what our body is needing. Very um, interesting. So those are a few suggestions. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Lisa, one additional question for you. So when you work with uh, clients, um, do you usually uh, uh, teach them how to plan their meal preparation for the entire week? Or is it a little bit more, you know, one meal at a time? The reason why I'm asking is I mentioned to you that the audience for this podcast is um, young professionals and college students. And so they're busy. And I am trying to figure out how to teach them how to protect their health and wellness and uh, thought that you might have some good ideas in, in that respect for us. Absolutely. So what I really like to do with folks is help them create a meal plan for the week based on a budget um, of what can work for people in terms of what they can afford and then based on rotating some dishes and some meals but with similar components echoing throughout so that there can be some batch cooking um, so that people can, on a day off or with a few hours off, cook, you know, a big pot of rice or quinoa um, and roast the chicken or cook a pot of black beans and then have different sauces and spreads and vegetables to add to those foods and make them into different meals throughout the week. Um, so that's one suggestion and one way that I do often work with folks around meal planning, which I think is a really helpful tool and um, really gets everybody who's cooking and eating on board with the plan. Um, the other thing that I like to suggest is if you can't cook for yourself or don't have time to, make sure that you're adding in these um, highly nutritious foods to your meals. So whether you have your great ground flaxseed that you're sprinkling on your food and you can take a little jar with you wherever you go, um, or whether you're having a lacto-fermented food once a day to enhance gut flora, but thereby supporting immunity um, and balancing mood, promoting healthy digestion, um, whether that's 
sauerkraut or ginger, kimchi or miso, fermented carrots. Um, and then, you know, having some high quality fat, um, making sure you get that in one of your meals. Um, I've actually been known to carry little vials of olive oil mm -hmm. around with me um, to add to my food. So those are a few different suggestions of ways to kind of incorporate high quality nutrition, um, regardless of capacity to cook. That's great. Thank you. Uh, in addition to exploring your website, are there any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Whether maybe your favorite oh books or somewhere, and I know that there are many, many different ones, but maybe a few of them that you uh, have uh, used throughout the years and really uh, came back to them. Absolutely. So um, I have some books that I really appreciate and use quite a bit. Um, so there's one, if you really want to delve deeply into food as medicine, um, there is a doctor named Alan Gaby who wrote a huge tome. It's over 2,000 pages called Nutritional Medicine. And that's one I use very frequently with my clients. Um, it goes through body systems and conditions and talks about um, different nutritional aspects and ways to balance that condition. Um, I also really appreciate Healing with Whole Foods, classic tome about Chinese five element theory translated in a sense into language that Westerners can understand by Paul Pitchford. Right. Um, and he had quite a bit of help putting that book together. So there are a lot of contributors there. Um, and then in terms of learning more about Ayurveda, the knowledge of life from India, I really appreciate a pr practitioner and author named Maya Tiwari. She wrote a book called Ayurveda, A Life of Balance. That's beautiful um, and helpful. And then there is also a book out there that gives a little bit of background about food sovereignty, this notion of people taking control over their own food and what culturally appropriate traditional foods might look like for different groups. And that book literally is called Food Sovereignty. Um, so those are a few that I really go back to and appreciate. Um, if you're interested in eating seasonally, and learning a bit more of the traditional food ways of indigenous peoples of the Americas, you can take a look at a book by Jessica Prentice called Full Moon Feast. Okay. And it's about different recipes for the different moons of the year. Um, and if you're really wanting to learn about indigenous food ways of North America, I would suggest that you go to a tribal elder or tribal leader in the area where you live because they're actually everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, despite the misconception that some Native people might not be around anymore, and talk with them about traditional foods um, and their traditional ways of growing the foods and preparing them. Thank you. Thank you for this. Uh, very, very interesting. Thank you. Lisa, as we are coming to an end of this interview, I have a couple of more questions for you. So one of them is, uh, what additional things do you want this audience to know that we perhaps have not discussed? And my second question is, where and how can our listeners learn more about you and from you? So in terms of learning more from me, um, again, I would really recommend, as you have done, signing up for my newsletter mm -hmm. um, and just getting recipes and updates and learning where and when classes might be happening and webinars as well. Um, and the other thing that I'd like to mention that 
people hear me talk a lot about is um, the enteric nervous system and enterotyping. Mm-hmm. Um, you may or may not be aware that we have not only a central nervous system that enervates our entire body, but an enteric nervous system that lives in our gut. And that is, you know, known by some as the gut brain. Um, and this enteric nervous system is responsible for maintaining our mood balanced. Um, it produces a vast quantity of neurotransmitters, over 75% of all the neurotransmitters in our body, which are responsible for secreting hormones like epinephrine, norepinephrine, the trigger, the fight-or-flight sympathetic response. Um, and they're also responsible for producing serotonin and dopamine, the kind of rest and digest, relax, feel good, parasympathetic hormones. So the more we take care of our guts, the more balanced our mood will be, the better we'll be able to handle stress and um, sort of the healthier we'll be overall. The thing to remember, too, is that we not only have a blood type on our H factor, but we also have an enteric type. So our enteric nervous system um, also responds to certain kinds of bacteria, but not others, which is why it's really important to recognize that a broad-spectrum probiotic supplement might not actually be very effective because it might have some strains that our body doesn't recognize and that might actually cause digestive insults as opposed to improving digestion. Um, So in the next five years, we'll find that enteric typing will become more affordable and people will be able to learn their enteric type. Um, And then likely the supplement industry will follow by creating um, specific strains that people can get that sort of match their enteric type. So in the meantime, what I say to people is as most as best as possible, get your beneficial probiotic bacteria from food, right? Like I was mm. mentioning before, lacto-fermented foods. Um, and not only that, but feed your intestines and feed your gut flora prebiotic food, right? The food that has the fermentable oligosaccharide chains that the gut flora feeds on so that all of the good colonies that you do naturally have in your system can continue to replicate themselves and grow in abundance. And, you know, some of those prebiotic foods certainly include flax and flax seeds, um, apples, onions, asparagus, artichokes. Um, So really do... Think about incorporating those foods into your diet um, and take care of your enteric nervous system and your enteric gut type. That is very interesting and very, very good message. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa, thank you so very much. This was a fascinating conversation, and I know that our listeners will get a lot of interesting uh, pearls of wisdom from it, so I'm very, very grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, and um, I appreciate getting to talk about these things and look forward to more conversation because when we talk about food, we learn so much from each other, and we're all eaters, so we all have food knowledge um, there isn't necessarily somebody who is you know, better than or knows more than. It's just about delving into these topics and really making them our own through conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me and enjoy the rest of this day. You too. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Lisa. 
All of the books and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 17. To continue our discussion of this episode and explore health and wellness news, recipes, and variety of other recommendations, please join our community at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash community. This episode is proudly sponsored by Pure Indian Foods. Pure Indian Foods is a company created by the fifth generation of ghee makers. Ghee is a healthy, shelf-stable alternative to butter and other cooking oils, and you probably heard it mentioned earlier in this episode. Since it has a high smoke point, ghee is one of the best fats you can use for baking and high-heat cooking. To learn more about the products and the company's philosophy, please visit wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash pureindianfoods or check out the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 17 for the link of the product I usually have on hand in my kitchen, 100% organic grass-fed ghee. If you use a discount code LANA, you'll get $5 off on your first order over $25. Thank you again for being here. I really appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Thank you.